Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Appreciate that. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. And it says this, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash. Everybody say Mishmash. Is that what it says, Mishmash? And in the mountains of Bethel. And a 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gilba of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent, and Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, so that Saul had attacked a garrison, a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 600 horsemen, and the people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Somebody say that was a lot of people. And they came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. For as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. I'm going to just... Stop just right there. Now, Samuel was a prophet. He was the prophet of the land. Everybody say the prophet. Okay, before I have you have your seats in just a moment, I'm going to finish reading something. I want, I want to tell you who prophets were back then. See, see, in the days that we're living in now, prophets um, are a little bit different than they were back then. We see a lot of prophets on YouTube now. You know? We see him, you know, coming as invited to a church and they drop a word and, you know, they're, sometimes it's a strong word. Sometimes it's a word of rebuke. Sometimes they flow in the prophetic. Um, but back then, I want to tell you what a, what, a pro, what a prophet really was. They were the law. Do you understand that? They were the law. Like before, before cops were instituted and governing authorities were instituted, prophets were the law. Do you understand that? If you read the Old Testament, those who were in governing authorities, like this king, the prophets put them in place. The scripture says that God doesn't do anything still in the earth unless it's first revealed to his prophets. Because even God is a God of divine order. Everybody understand that? And so that was Samuel. He was one of the main prophets. I'm sure there were other prophets. But in the Bible, there's minor prophets and there's major prophets. And, and Samuel was a major prophet. And what was happening in this story, in its context, is that the people were begging for a king because they were under threat from the Philistines. And why would they want a king? Because without a king, they wouldn't know how to fight. And so they begged God and God said, listen, I am your king. But they kept begging God for a natural king, and so God gave them one. This is why you have to be careful on what you pray for. Because never think that God won't give you something that is not his perfect will. If you beg him long enough, if you cry long enough, if you fast long enough, sometimes God will give you, but you don't realize that that thing that he gives you could end up being a hindrance to your, his perfect will for your life. Y'all don't want to talk about it. God gave them the king, and eventually this king uh, essentially crashed and burned, meaning he didn't end up in God's will. He actually 
uh, fell out of God's will and God had to strip the kingdom from him. But, but this, is, this is that Samuel the prophet. Say Samuel the prophet. So Samuel commanded that this king wait for him, okay? Because a prophet is also a type of priest. He, he was going to come to the king and make a sacrifice. And when they would sacrifice, when they were in the middle of a battle, if the sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord, the Lord would give them favor so that they would win the battle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so the king takes his place of the prophet, which he had no spiritual right to do so. Now watch what happens. Say, I'm watching or I'm listening. But it says, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal because he waited seven days, meaning the king waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. In other words, he said, wait, but he didn't wait. But Samuel delayed and did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. And now it had happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel the prophet came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me. In other words, they were losing the battle. And that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down at me, on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt, now this is, this is the context in which I'm preaching right now. He said, then I felt compelled. I felt compelled and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly and have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God in which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Who is he talking about? He's talking about David. And the Lord has com commanded him to become the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. You may have your seats. Can I talk to you guys from the heart this morning? Can you bring me down just a little bit? Uh, thank you. I want you to, I want you to think about that text we just read, because we're entering into an age that I've I've talked about recently, but I'm thinking about it more and more the longer I'm pastoring. And now I have been pastoring now, uh, well into six years, but. Over four years, going on five years as leading as a pastor, but I was an associate pastor for a couple of years. Which, when you're pastoring, you you get very close to people. You kind of you know everybody's business. It's a double-edged sword. You you know them privately, and then you kind of know all the stuff that's going on in their personal lives, and then you have to preach to them on Sunday morning, and not make sermons about them. That's funny. I have a lot of different things I can preach about. But we, we are entering into an age, and I think we're there, and, and I want you, you younger people in particular to listen to this statement. This is very important, what I'm about to tell you. All the young people, say amen if you're listening. If you're under, if you're under, under 30 years old, say amen. I need you to listen to this because some, some of the older people uh, it's not you, and you're probably, you're not sitting next to them, but, but some of them uh, are a little harder to deal with. But I think you'll receive from this. We are, we are entering into an age where people are elevating spirituality in the name of Jesus, but the problem is it's not biblical. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Like the manifestations in their meetings are not biblical. Teachings getting more and more unbiblical. And, and you see it, it's not, it hasn't just started. This has been happening for ages and ages. And this happened through the hand of this king right here. He was, he was 
doing it all in the name of spirituality to earn God's favor. But the problem was it was unbiblical. It was not lawful. And, and here's the thing is I see a lot of people coming up in the body of Christ, people who desire to lead or simply people who desire to earn God's favor are going about it in the wrong way. And the scripture is clear that God is a God of order. This is the thing. God, say God, is a God of divine order. And I've been on a quest. I really have. I have found something. You know, as you get older, you start to get to know yourself more and more. Sometimes you see things you like to see, and sometimes you find things that are not so much fun to see in yourself. Trust me. Once you get over the age of about 35, you start to see patterns even in your own lives that you just, you know, you wish they could break easy, but the older you get, the harder they are to break because you've been living with you for so long. All the older people say amen. There's, some old, there's somebody older that I was talking to the other day. You know, young people, you talk to them and they realize they need to change, but the old, I heard somebody who was a little bit older than me. They said, I don't have any plans on changing. And, uh, you know, I am who I am. There's a, there's a minister friend, uh, somebody that I admire very much recently said that. And I just thought it was funny. And, and it's so true. That the older you get, the harder it is, you know. Like, I don't know. I've been trying to break the chicken wing habit, and I'm only 38. And I'm just kind of surrendering to it and saying, you know what? I might just eat these things for the rest of my life. I don't know. I'm going to get the Ninja Air Fryer. Don't worry, Rick, because Rick is over there binding, you know, calories over there for me right now. I got the Air Fryer. Just relax. No grease. But the more I'm getting acquainted with people, I, I am finding out that um, a lot of the cause of our problems in our lives are not the result of demons. And they're not the result of a lack of God's favor. It is a matter of our lives not being in divine alignment with God's will for our lives. I'm just going to talk from the heart this morning, okay? Because in many cases, I, when I, so I grew up, can I tell you how I kind of grew up in the faith, in the Lord, like how I was reared? And a lot of what I'm about to say is going to make sense. Can, can I get my hands free, Mike? I just need my hands free. I'm not going to hurt anybody, I promise. This, this guy right here. So I was, I was reared, I was, I was very unsaved. I mean, like I was really unsaved like in my younger years and he's going to try to help me out can you guys bear with me real quick I talk with my hands I did that last week didn't I I'm getting older and they say as you get older you get less self aware so when I grew up in, in the faith I came up underneath the first 10 years of me walking with the Lord. I grew up underneath a deliverance ministry, a deliverance ministry. And what that looked like, it looked like really long worship services and people flailing on the floors and demons being cast out and all the rest. And even out of me at times. And the first 10 years of my life, I learned how to deal with the powers of darkness even before I learned to become really, really in love with Jesus. Like I learned, and this is not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing, but can you guys hear me? Praise God. Hallelujah. A little louder. Help me out, media team. Praise God. Can you hear me? We're just going to use this thing this morning. Keep it right there. Okay, we're good. So, so as I grew up the first 10 years in ministry, learning to rout demons, cast out demons, I started to mature more and more. And as I matured, I started finding out that even though the demons weren't there, uh, I still didn't know how to manage my finances. And demons were cast out at me, but I still didn't know how to govern myself socially and how to engage in healthy, non-toxic relationships. 
I didn't have any more demons, but I didn't know how to necessarily forgive quickly because I held on to bitterness. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? And, and so, so I, think, I think we're in a time and season where more and more people are becoming more and more spiritual. And I don't mean that in the positive sense. Because sometimes we can get on this spiritual high, so high, that we begin to neglect what is natural in our life. Because as much as we want to put, the, put those spiritual suits on, those glorified bodies, we're not going to get the glorified body until we get to heaven one day. And what is required of us, I'm finding out more and more as I'm now about to enter into my 40s, and thank you, Jesus, two more years. It's still a little, while, a little ways away. I'm, I'm realizing that in order to enter into the will of God, I have to have a balance in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it requires a partnership. And I think there's a lot of people, you might even be in here under the sound of my voice this morning, who, are, who keep trying to do the same spiritual things but are not producing the results that you want to produce. Has anybody in here ever felt like that? You have fasted about the same thing. You have prayed about the same thing. You've declared the word of God about this very same thing, but it hasn't produced, you haven't birthed the thing that you've been believing for. Well, well I want to talk about a couple different types of Christians. Can we talk about a couple different Christians this morning? I'm going to tell you, there, there's gen, well, there's generally three types. I'm going, to talk about, I'm going to be tough on the first two types. There's one that helps God too much. Can I tell you about the Christian who helps God too much? This is, some people are laughing because you help God too much, don't you? That was, that was the king. Now you have to understand that this is a man that God had chosen. God saw a characteristic in him that God valued, that God loved, that God esteemed. As a matter of fact, he said he was head and shoulders, King Saul, everybody say King Saul. He was head and shoulders over every other person. And, and, and he was handsome. I mean, six foot two probably, pear skin, blue eyes. It doesn't say that. It just says he was handsome and godly. But when he wasn't producing the results that he wanted to see, he began to help God too much. He got out of divine order and started doing God's job for him. And, and I really believe this, this word right here is prophetic this morning, that there are some people that I, I was feeling it all this morning. This was all dropping on me this morning, that there are people that are in this room right now that are frustrated and you're not seeing the hand of God at work and it's because you're helping God too much. Essentially, you are the Samuel making the burnt offering, trying to get God's hand to move. Now, you can be a Christian and help God too much. Say, I can be a Christian and help God too much. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? You know what I mean by helping God too much? Like, like even in somebody else's life, intervening too much when God is trying to get something through to a person, and then you rescue them out of the very place that God had put them. And you can also rescue yourself out of pits that God himself has put you in to work out certain characteristics. Listen, you cannot tithe your way enough into God's perfect will. We cannot live in disobedience in one area and live in obedience in another and expect the favor of God in every aspect. We hear this word over and over called mixture. That's called mixture. And so you will, a life governed that way, you'll see a lot of peaks and valleys. But can I tell you, you can live on the mountaintop. I know I've heard about peaks and valleys, but I'm not talking about your life not going through a valley because God will ordain that. I'm talking about your spirit remaining strong, you remaining at peace. Because here's the thing, I never am not going through something, like ever. Never. There's always something burning down, something that's being dismantled, a challenge, uh, an issue, a fire to be put out. But you can have peace, and you can only have peace when, when this is the case, when you know that you know that you know that you are in the perfect will of God. The, the trouble comes and the lack of peace comes when you're not sure if you're in God's will anymore. You can be, have assurance 
you can have confidence in knowing that I'm only, like there's some things that I know that I'm personally going through and I know some of you are going through. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going through those things, but it is ordained by God. God has strategically placed that in your life. He's allowed that difficulty. He's allowed that limp. He's allowed that challenge to develop something in you that is valuable, that he needs you to develop so that when you get to the promised land, you don't back down from the giants that are going to be before you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so there is that Christian who helps God far too much. But then there is a Christian who expects God to do everything for them. You have to be careful about helping God too much. Say, I have to be careful about helping God too much. But I also have to be careful about expecting, uh, expecting God to do everything. I've been a part of church movements when people just grab the guitar and they are just can't pay a bill and all they do is play the guitar all day. But their main prayer is, God, pay my bills. God, I need a breakthrough. And, and, and sometimes we can use those things, those spiritual parts of our lives that have a propensity to over-spiritualize as a crutch to hide and be lazy. Oh boy, I might get in trouble today. But there, I want to suggest the third person. Because we can be a little bit of both. Because the Bible is very clear that faith without works is so we've got some people in this room, and I'm kind of like the, the Peter, the runner, the worker, and God has to settle me down and get the guitar out and praise and worship. But then some of you just been praise and worshiping too long and got to get up and start putting your faith in action. Because faith and works is what produces fruit in our lives. Obedience and faith and yielding. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Is that okay? And before I do that, I want to suggest we become the third Christian. And this is the per person, this is very basic, is who partners with God's plan. Can I tell you what a pastor's greatest frustration is? Can I tell you? You didn't answer me. Can I tell you my greatest frustration? Because I love people so much. And my heart is for people. Is I, 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 don't, I don't bleed very much and private anymore for my own life because I'm too busy being concerned and praying for other people's needs that I oftentimes forget mine. And that is a blessing, but you, I, I am in a position to where I see so many different needs and you just wish that you could take people's feet in their hands because sometimes we have a vantage point, not all the time, but I'll see like, man, if this adjustment would be made, I, they would align with God's will and then they would begin to see the momentum in their life. You, you have those kind of friends in your life. You know, Susie, when she calls you once a week and then she asks you for advice and you know without a shadow of a doubt that when you give Susie that advice, she's not gonna take it. Oh, y'all don't have friends like that? They will take up your whole afternoon. They will cry. They will, they will ask you to pray for them. And then you give them a download that God had just given you. And then you ask them next week if they followed through with it and they haven't. Has that ever happened to you? We have to learn. Uh, many of our sufferings, our current sufferings, are not due to the devil. It has everything to do with how we partner with God's divine will in our life. And the greatest art, I, I'm going to call it an art, because as a little boy, you know what I wanted to know more than anything? I wanted to know God. If I could put everything else aside, I just, I don't want to just know him. And I don't mean, and I'm not gloating. Now, I remember I was locked away for pretty much three years. And all I did was work and read the Bible, work and read the Bible, work and read the Bible. And I used to play. Now, I say this to my shame, so I'm not gloating. I would say to my friends, I would hand them the Bible. I said, open it anywhere in red and I'll finish the scripture. And I would do it because I read the word of God so much, so much, so much. Even in the thick of that three years, every day reading chapter after chapter, I could still probably do it. I don't want to do it because I don't want to impress y'all. I don't want to show off. I'm teasing, kind of. But one thing I started finding out, there are more Christians sitting in this room that can finish a verse but don't know God's ways. They don't know his ways. The king knew how to rule people, but he didn't know how to steward and govern his life in the way that would please God. 
and there is a way to walk in God's ways and please him. And there is a way that where you think you're pleasing him and are truly not. But God has ways to him. There's ways about him. There's a divine order about God. And when you walk lockstep with him, you will have peace no matter what's going on. And you will attract the favor of God. What would God look like releasing the favor over our uh, being out of step with him? Not walking lockstep with him or even walking in disobedience. What would God have looked like elevating a man who walked in disobedience? God wants to reward us. Do you know that? I want you to hear that right now. God wants to reward us richly. He wants to pour his blessings out upon us richly. He wants to give us his peace immensely, immeasurable. And, there's a, and the, here's the thing. The reason why our hearts are troubled this morning regarding certain things is not because God doesn't love. It's because we don't understand his ways. Are you hearing me? Because if we understood his ways, we would be at peace. And that's most of our trouble in this room right now. It's not because, it's not because God's not doing certain things in our lives. It's that we're not sure we're in his perfect will. Am I right about it, somebody? Like, like you would be okay if knowing that this suffering was, it was because of God's perfect will in our lives. Say, don't help God. So let me talk about this person who helps God just a little bit. This is a person who is smart, assertive, strong-willed, headstrong. They have to war against this propensity, okay? That, that's me. I told you that a minute ago. Because with this mentality, you run the risk of going ahead of God. Did you know that's what transgression means? It means you're, on the, you're going in the right direction, but you, you went too fast. You overstepped God. Has anybody ever done that? Some of you have been married before. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Went ahead of God. Some of you are in a, in a job description right now when you're like, man, I should have prayed about that. I knew God wanted me to get a job, but now I'm stuck in something that is robbing me of my peace. And it's not because God didn't love you. It's because we went too quick and moved too quick. Are you hearing me? This person has to work hard. And they work hard, but they see little results and are in constant frustration. And, and I want to tell you this morning, when, when, when I, as I minister this, I want to show you how to partner with the Holy Spirit. Like you don't have to live another day of your life frustrated that you're not in the will of God. You don't have, a, have, to, have to make one more decision not knowing if it's God or not, His will for your life. How many want to know that? And as I said just a moment ago, the most essential thing you can learn in life is to partner with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this scripture right here. It's in Proverbs. It's the Passions Translation. It's Proverbs 19, 21. A person may have many ideas concerning God's plans for his or her life, but only the designs of God's purposes will exceed in the end or succeed. Somebody say, I want God's way. I want to tell you something. I want to be very vulnerable. I'm going to cut my heart open a little bit this morning and let you guys see it bleed. But I, I live, when I sometimes preach and I come off correcting, I have to tell you a secret between me and the Lord. It wasn't always this way. He babied me my first three years. I mean, really held my hand. I could do nothing wrong, I felt. But now I live in a place of constant correction in a healthy way. Are you listening? Do you know what I mean by that? Like I'll have an encounter with Jesus and weeks later, I'll get something where he's really correcting me. And that's simply because I have asked, I've pled, and my main prayer is that I would walk in the perfect will of God and that my life would be well-pleasing to him. And if you have the heart posture of, Lord, I want to be well-pleasing to you and no matter the cost, no, no, matter, no matter what my obedience looks like, I want to honor you no matter what. And it's not about cars. It's not about money. It's about obedience to the Lord and having his presence in your life. That, that, is, that is the greatest treasure anyone could ever have in their lives is knowing that you are walking in accordance with his will, knowing that he's with you, knowing that you're not suffering in vain, but it's leading unto something. What's the scripture say? Uh, the present sufferings of this current time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. You can know that without a shadow of a doubt. But I live in a constant correction of the Lord. Recently, 
I had had a dream, and this dream would send anybody reeling. It was a godly dream. I don't want to share it because I feel like it's, you know, when the apostle Paul, he said he, he had been to heaven and he saw things and he heard things, but he said he didn't want to talk about it. This was uh, several months ago that God had given me this. I sent it to a dream interpreter and it, it made the future of both this church, my life and many of your lives look very promising. It was, I mean, a dream to be celebrated, a dream that was straight from heaven. And then just a few weeks later, I had a dream of God correcting me. Isn't it funny how God does that? He'll reveal your destiny to you and he'll show you the promised land and then he starts to work backwards on you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He'll say, I'm about to do this in you and your family and this is the promised land. But hey, you gotta get this straightened out. You have to stop this. And I feel like there was two dreams that I had were significant. And in one of the dreams I had some, there was a lady who bumped into me and I started grumbling at her in the dream, like not cursing, but just like, who do you think you are? I was grumbling, you know? And in the dream, I looked down on my hands and, and a church leader walked over to me and they said, what is wrong with you? And I looked at my hands and my hands were dirty. And I felt in the dream that, that there was something in my life that and you couldn't see it. You had to put a magnifying glass on it. You couldn't see it from the natural eye. But when you would put a magnifying glass on it, you could see uh, like little, like mildew stains. Does that make sense? And I knew that I had been uh, complaining too much and grumbling a little bit too much. Then weeks later, a similar dream, and I felt like the Lord was correcting me. And here's why he's doing it. He showed me the promised land, but he said, son, I need you to make these corrections. I'm like, Lord, if I told people what this issue is, they would laugh and say, that's no issue at all. But I'm telling you, as you go higher in the Lord, the more he requires of you, and he requires clean hands and a pure heart. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord except he who has a clean hand and pure heart so those things matter the way the attitude of the heart matters to God no matter what people see I'm not talking about what they see I'm talking about what God sees when he looks at your life like the way that you feel about people the way that you conduct yourself the way that you steward your life when you're behind closed doors this kind of stuff matters to God and when you have a high calling on your life and I know that many of you all of you have a calling from God, and many of you have a high calling from God. And the reason that you go through the challenges that you do go through is because God wants to work that stuff out of you so he can get you where he desires you to be. And here's the thing, but you cannot, it's, it's dangerous to drag your feet when God tries to correct you. And it's also dangerous to help God. We have to learn to partner with God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Somebody say, I must learn to partner with God. And you know what I heard in this, in this, in this dream when I, came, when I came out of this dream? And, and, and because there are some things that are happening in my own life that uh, I don't particularly like. I know all of you are going through awesome things and don't have any area of your life that you would uh, prefer to be a little bit different. Can I just touch some of those to make myself feel better? Some of us want our finances to look different and they have not looked any different. Some of us want our marriages to look different, but they're no different. Some of us really wish that God would change the schedule of our spouses and you live with that ache constantly. Some of us have children. Now you're finally where you want to be at spiritually, but now you're bleeding over your children. You know what they say about that, right? When, you, when, you're, when, you're, uh, when your children are young, they try your mind. When they're older, they try your heart. Does that make sense? And so all of us are going through different things. Some of you are not sure of what career choice to take or what career path to take. All of us have questions. Don't know if I should stay at the job. All these different issues, difficult. Some of have health issues. We all have different things. Some of us are battling with fear, can't sleep at night. Some, some people are addicted to pharmaceutical things. All these whole gamut of all these different things going in, on in our lives. And if we're going to get out of those areas, we have to learn to partner with the Holy Spirit. 
And you know what kept the children of Israel in the wilderness? It wasn't pills. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't fornication. It wasn't because they weren't tithing. It wasn't because they were talking behind leaders' backs. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't even due to a lack of their obedience because they left Egypt and they were ready to go to the promised land. This one thing kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. Care to know what it was? Grumbling. Complaining about how God was giving them manna and eating the same meals over and over again. I don't know about you, but I don't want no grumbling keeping me in my wilderness for 40 years. God, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. Examine my life. Whatever is keeping me from entering in, Lord, I give you, does anybody give the Lord permission this morning? I give you permission to examine my life. Search me, oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the life of everlasting. And all through the scriptures, I see people like the children of Israel grumbling. We can learn. We can learn. There's a delay because of the interpretation. So I'll say something funny and then I'll move on a minute later and then somebody starts laughing. It's because of the interpretation. I love it. We can learn from the Word of God. We can learn by examples that are there people who have partnered with God, people who have been lazy and have not partnered with Him, and also people who have helped God too much. Can I give you a few of those? Is this okay this morning? Are y'all okay? Have you had your coffee? Looks like y'all had decaf or something. Listen, you you young, young men and women, I want you to hear this. Learn from the Bible. Learn from the Bible. Don't just learn from your parents. Learn from the Bible. It's all there. It it amazes me. There's leaders that I know of that are making the same mistakes that I see all throughout the Bible. There's Christians that are making the same mistakes that that are warnings in the Bible. Like, I don't don't get it. Like, if if you see if you do this and you get these results, why would you repeat the same thing? Abraham. Abraham was promised by God himself. Say God himself. That you're going to have a son and and many nations are going to come out of him. Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Excuse me. Abraham had a promise from God to have his son, Isaac, right? What does he do? God is taking too long. (laughs) I'm going to let a woman say that. I'm not going to say that. She said it, not me. Did y'all hear that? He listened to his wife. Thank God. Oh, I can't say it. My wife's not here this morning. He helped, he helped God out. And what happened is it created chaos in his household. He slept with his handmaiden, Hagar, and, and, and they bore a son, an Ishmael. And it caused problems throughout his, the rest of his life. And did you know that they're even at war still today with the two different nations? It caused, we're talking about generational problems. Sometimes you have to be careful because we cannot think for just the moment. Yes, you cannot, when I come out from the pulpit, it's, it's, it gets wild. So, no, it doesn't. I'm kidding. When you try to help God out, this can affect generations. Like if how you treat your child, if you damage them, and how you govern and steward your life, like the way that you see you, they see you date people, or they see the way that you treat other people, or they, you treat them wrongly. You are setting up a culture. You are setting that child up for failure to treat their children the same way. And until some, God raises somebody up in that family to break that cycle, that cycle will continue. That's why we call them generational curses. Never think that your attitude does not affect people spiritually. They learn from us. They learn from us. This is what kind of man you choose. This is what kind of woman you choose. Oh, this is how a man is supposed to treat a woman. They watch how you treat mom. They watch how you treat dad. And you are literally, how you govern and steward your life, you are affecting nations and generations. Like, think about this. Who you birthed in there? How many have had a, children, had a child in this room? Raise your hand. And you kids, one day, God willing, you, if Jesus doesn't come back, you will also have a child. 
And when you have that child, how you govern and steward your life, many nations, like think about this, 90% of the people in here, are you listening? Say amen. amen. This is heavy what I'm about to say. Your gene genealogy will never end, 90% of you. And 10 generations from now would st are still going to carry attributes that you showed your child growing. Generation to generation to generation. When I studied my family line, I, I, there was a common thread, alcohol. Every time they all got together, alcohol. So I grew up with a propensity to like to drink and not just a little. You know, we grew up in a very uh, environment where we spoke our mind. So now a lot of people, like my wife sits there and nudges me and she says, why aren't you saying anything to the kids? Or she'll say things like, uh, why, why doesn't this upset you? I said, honey, it took me a long time not to get upset about things. I've, I've done a lot of work not to get upset because, you know, I grew up with, a, with, a, with men who were very angry growing up. And, and until God raises somebody up in that family to stop that cycle and learn to be gentle and show their children gentleness, that's when you begin to affect generations. And it only comes with partnering with the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is this okay this morning? So we want to know how to get to the will of God, right? Who wants to know how to get to the will of God? How many desire the will of God in their lives? I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you three things, three or four things. Very, very basic. Think, think about this before I tell you that. Look at Samson's life called. We see Abraham helped God. He still fulfilled God's will, but he dealt with consequences. Then you have someone like Samson. God gives him supernatural strength, but gives it to him too early. When Samson does not stick with the game plan that God had given him, you know what the game plan was? Don't cut your hair and don't drink. That was it. Don't date foreign women. Don't marry a foreigner or a foreign woman. At least it be integrated into your family line. Now listen what happens. Samson disobeys all of those things and he ends up by the skin of his teeth. Yes, he ended his life by eventually obeying God, but he lost out on all all of those years of having his eyes plucked out and being weakened by the Philistines. It could have, you could have, you could, he could have hastened God's plan had he partnered with God and just obeyed his word. Did you know your life, you, the determined outcome of your life is based upon whether or not we obey the scriptures or not. And here's how I make decisions on everything. Are you ready? Because we lie to ourselves. Not purposely. You would never lie to yourself purposely, would you? No, we would not. I always ask myself, like when, when Samuel, can you picture him about to slaughter that sheep or whatever it was? You would have thought it would have came to his mind, I'm about to overstep and get out of divine order and I'm about to take the place of a prophet. I'm a king, no prophet. You would think it would have crossed his mind, I'm out of divine order, but it didn't even cross his mind. He didn't know that he was about to affect generations. He was about to affect a nation that he was ruling over. And when you go to make a decision in life, simply start with asking yourself this first question. How does this affect my relationship with Jesus? Someone came to me. This is so funny. Christian. A Christian. And they, they, they were telling me they were offered a job that is harmful, like to... And it's, a, it's legal. It's been legalized, this particular drug. It's been legalized. And they said, yeah, I really need the money. And I'm a believer. What are your thoughts, pastor? And I, and I said, um, I don't have any thoughts. I know what the word of God says. Um, if, if this doesn't create a healthy life for somebody and it actually can send them spiraling down in addiction, I don't have to pray about it. I know what the word of God says. Like, listen, ladies, where are the ladies at in the room? Where are the single ladies at in the room? You do not have to. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, should I date him? My first thing is, is, is he a Christian? And then when they say, well, no, but, but I can help him. I'm like, 
Were you able to help your last marriage? Did that help you? No, no, no. You, you don't marry potential. You marry reality. You're like, well, no, but I can, I can admit it. He wants to go to church. He only wants to go to church to be next to you. And then he wins you and he stops washing the car. Are you hearing what I'm saying, ladies? Marry potential. Never marry reality. The scripture says, can two walk together unless they're equally yoked? Yeah, but you say, can two walk together unless they're... Oh, marry reality. Do not marry potential. Yes. Scratch that out if you took notes the other way. So, so, and then it, here's what's funny. They get spiritual about it like Saul, like Saul did. He said, I, you took too long and I started sacrificing to the Lord because he wanted God's favor. He wanted to win the war. And then I hear people come to me and they say, well, pastor, I had a dream about him or I had a dream about her. And then I will in turn tell them, well, that was from your pizza the night before. Because listen, God's will, listen to this, God's will never contradicts the scriptures ever. Like, like never, not one time or 1% of the time. The will of God will never contradict what this Bible says under any circumstance. So when he says, do not become unequally yoked, God is trying to save you lots of trouble. Because listen, all the married people say amen when I say this, not yet. Marriage, even when you are equally yoked, gives you trouble. You get married. Oh, she clapped too long. That's all right. That's okay. We'll get to that. When you get married, you will have trouble. When you get unequally yoked in a relationship, you will have major trouble. And this is why we have to learn to not to be over-spiritual and unbiblical. We must be spiritual and biblical all at the same time. Because when you, you can claim the promises of God, both when you're walking in the Spirit and walking in accordance with His Word. This is what gets the favor of God. This is why David got the favor of God in his life. He wasn't perfect. We try to walk in accordance with God's Word. We try to be led by the Spirit. But are you always led by the Spirit? Am I always led by the Spirit? No. Oftentimes when I'm talking to Rick or I'm talking to one of my other friends in the room, I will oftentimes, when I'm about to give a piece of advice, I say, this is Donnie, not necessarily the Lord. But in my mind, I'm like, I have the Spirit of God. I feel this is from the Lord, but take it from me. This is, this is what I think. So we try to obey the Word of God. But that's what David did. He tried to obey. And when he fell, he just got up and said, Lord, I'm going to try to obey you again. That's how you end up in the will of God. But it's a bad thing to drift and drift and never think that you are off key. Like I wake up every day and think about how can I walk in God's word, lockstep with him daily. When I, well, before my feet hit the ground, Holy Spirit, how can I walk lockstep with you? How, teach me to hear your voice. My feet don't hit the ground before I read the word of God. Never. I just, I just it's that or 30 seconds later, I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the, either in the study or I'm, in the living room and I'm reading God's word immediately before I give my brain a chance to develop on its own, trying to get the mind of the Lord, trying to get God's heartbeat for the day. Even on a Saturday when I'm off, Lord, what do you want us to do today? How would the children have the most fun out of this day? It sounds crazy, but it's not. It's involving God in every single solitary aspect of our lives. The Bible says whether you're eating or whether you're drinking, we should do all in the name of the Lord. Sitting down, rising up, everything in the name of Jesus. But ask yourself, how does this affect my relationship with God? This person said, well, I think I should take this job. I said, why? Just because it pays you good money? Because you are about to damage lives. Like, how does this affect my relationship with Jesus? When people come to me and they say, Pastor... I'm getting this job offer and it requires me to work on Sunday. I say, well, have you prayed about that? They're like, yeah, and it pays really good. And I just feel it's the will of, feel it's the will of God. I said, well, where does that leave you in your relationship with the Lord and you uh, serving him and hearing the word of God? They're like, well, well I, I don't know. I'm like, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Again, being over spiritual and less biblical because the Bible says to keep this day holy and when any decision, any solitary, I know I'm not going to get no amens on that. 
I'll preach myself happy then. How about that? If, if any solitary decision does not guarantee a closer walk with Jesus, can I say to you, it's not Jesus. If a relationship that you're about to engage in doesn't bring you closer to Jesus and you don't see Jesus in that person, that relationship is not from Jesus. If that job description causes you, causes your moral barometer to go off or any decision, any decision that you make in your life gives you that that check in your spirit that says, I know this isn't the Lord. Don't think about it. Run. Turn the other way. How does this affect? How does this harbor? How does this protect your relationship with Jesus? He could have given this some thought and he would have saved himself a kingdom if he would not have overstepped the Lord. Is this helpful? Now, another basic one. Does this help or harm others? Does our decision help or harm others? I know these are basic principles, but they're very important. You know how many people, somebody came to me recently and they were, they have a best friend. And this best friend, I'm not saying names, so I'm not doing wrong. Y'all don't get mad at me. I almost came out of my skin when I heard this. I heard someone say, hey, yeah, my best friend just divorced his wife and I'm thinking about dating her. I said, what? I said, well, he was like, yeah, I really feel this is from the Lord. I said, um, I said, as long as you are ready to lose that friendship. Well, I really feel the leading. I'm like, that, that leading that you're feeling is not the Holy Spirit. That leading is the flesh. Are you hearing me? Because, listen to me, Jesus, Jesus will never lead you to do something that is harmful to someone else or an organization. Never. If it will hurt a relationship. And you know what came to my mind? This person is viewed as a godly example. Now, what do you think it's going to do to the conscience of somebody who viewed that person as a god? If that's the only way they've ever seen Jesus in their life, they're no longer going to be able to see Jesus. Because some people will never see Jesus except they see him through your life in that cubicle. Because we are witnesses. Not Jehovah witnesses, but witnesses. In other words, your children may be the only, they, they may only see Jesus through your life. They may never see Jesus at that school, at that middle school, that high school, or even in, especially in college. But they will see Jesus in you. And so if your example of Jesus is marred, the expense of that life, that soul, the blood is on your hands. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I hope this provokes some thought in us on how we govern our lives and make, make decisions. Because oftentimes our decisions, the stuff that we're in right now currently, is not due to the enemy. It's due to how we've stewarded our lives and partnered with the Holy Spirit. Listen, always remember this. When it comes to harming others, say, say, does this decision help or harm others? Listen, the, always remember this principle. You might want to write this down. The enemy will inspire you to sacrifice others for your greater good. Always remember that. The enemy will inspire you to sacrifice others for your greater good. Lie on someone to get a position manipulate something in order for you to wedge your way in but the lord the holy spirit will lead you to sacrifice things that are for others greater good always if you remember that principle and you don't live by any other principle other than knowing jesus and making decisions in your life does this harm or does this help others because the enemy will say i want you to do that knowing that it's going to cause catastrophic problems in your relationship because the Holy Spirit will always say, I want you to sacrifice. He will never say sacrifice others. He'll, ne he'll never say, do something to hurt this person. They deserve it. Never, never. God will never pivot you to cause harm to an environment, an organization, a church. He will always make you the sacrifice. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Think about this. I want you to think about the Dead Sea. How many know what the Dead Sea are? 
The Dead Sea is situated in Israel. And what it is, do you know why it's called the Dead Sea? There is no outlet. I was at a river yesterday cutting trees. Those ticks are bad here in Florida. On my day off, cutting trees. And I was at a river, a beautiful river. And, and I noticed when I, when I came over the hill, I found like a, um, a pond. It was overlaid with green. And it's because there was no water flowing into it or out of it. So when it rained, everything goes into it, but nothing is able to come out of it. This is why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea, because all of the rain, all of the salts from the ground, when it rains, it goes into the Dead Sea and creates high contents, high salt level contents. So no fish, no wildlife, there's nothing that's able to live in it. This is how much of us are in our lives. We're always in the position to receive. And your life will not thrive until you dedicate your lives into giving to others. Do you understand? You don't, you don't even have to pray. Listen to me. Catherine Kuhlman said it like this. If you rescue a man or a woman out of a pit, it'll be the very pit that you bury your problems in. Many of us are dead inside, spiritually dead, depressed and fearful, pulling the shades down, wearing black clothes, don't want to leave the house because you're thinking about all of your own problems. Let me tell you how to get out of that. You ready? Pull up the shade, go to your neighbor and find out what they need. Go knock on the door and say, how can I help you? And then the, the pit that you rescue somebody out of, that hole that's left there will be the very hole that you bury your problems in. That's, what we, that's, what, that's why Jesus' life thrives so much. That's why there was so much power in Jesus' life because he was always out. It was always outgoing. It was always coming out of him. He was always serving. He was always preaching. He was always laying hands. When did you ever hear Jesus say, give me something? The only time he wanted somebody to give him something is so he could bless it, break it, and distribute more of it. The only reason he wanted blessing is so that he could do more in people's lives. And the reason that many of us are dead inside is because everything is flowing on the inside. We selfishly govern our lives or we, or we try to keep back what rightfully belongs to other people. Somebody say, give to others. We must partner with the Holy Spirit. These are little keys I hope you write down. These are little keys that would make your life so much different, even tomorrow. If something shifts, all it takes is one thought by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that would change your life on how you govern your life. How many are tired of it being stale, things not moving, not seeing the breakthrough? Let me tell you the answer. Partnership with the Holy Spirit. Partnership. Listen to this. Speaking of the Dead Sea, I want you, I want you to listen to Haggai. Thank you, Jesus. Whenever, whenever Saul sacrificed he was not and this is what we got to be careful about giving is we have to make sure our motives are well intact when he gave he wasn't trying to honor the lord are you hearing what i'm saying why do you think he was sacrificing that lamb he was doing it to win a battle he wasn't doing it for love he wasn't doing it because he loved jesus he was doing it because he loved his own life. That he wanted the blessing of the Lord upon him so he could win the army, win over the army and overthrow the Philistine army. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God searches the motive. And so God knows when you're doing it for him and he knows when we're doing it for others or he knows when we're doing it for ourselves. Listen to this scripture. This grabbed me this morning. Haggai chapter one, verse six. It says, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You are clothed, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into bag with holes. Haggai chapter one, verse six. Listen. I feel like Charles Stanley when I say listen. That's what he would always say. Listen been listening to him for too many years. 
When you learn to give, when you learn to not hold back, God will begin to give to you. And when you give for reasons other than for your own benefit, you, would, you wouldn't believe how many people tithe. I get nudged sometimes. Y'all know that? It's none of you. They're not here this morning. Hey, pastor, can you put this envelope in the... No, I won't touch that envelope as a matter of fact. I don't want to know what you're giving. Anytime somebody comes to tell me, I say, shh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because once you start doing it for reasons other than your love and obedience to Jesus, you are robbed of the reward. You never, never let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Giving is holy. Whether it's giving of your life, your talents, your time, whatever it might be. Listen to this. Number three, and, and this is what Saul could not have done to him because he could, he could not have this examined publicly. Obviously, Samuel, the prophet, denounced him. Can my decisions be examined publicly? This is so heavy right here. If you cannot, you know how some people say, um, they want to hold, they don't want to tell their family members a certain person they're dating. You've never done that. If you can't make your decision public and say, this is what I plan on doing, the Holy Spirit will never say, keep this all to yourself and not tell anybody. How many times have we said that? Oh, this is between me and God. God has told me to do this. No, 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 no. There's a little thing called accountability. And there's a scripture for that. It says a man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. In other words, if you cannot make it known publicly as to what you're doing, how you're managing that thing, how you're stewarding that thing, it is not the Lord. The enemy wants to keep it silent and in the dark. I got a scripture for that one. You ready for it? John chapter three, verse 20. You can stand to your feet. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Bringing everything to the light. Everything. Allowing everything to be exposed. Allowing everything to be seen. Some people wonder why. I'm so brutally honest about my own life. I don't, I don't, there's no bones to have. The door stays open. My wife will tell you. It just stays completely open. And this will force growth in your life by constantly bringing your, your private life into the light. It's what keeps me growing. It's what will keep you growing. Letting everything be done in the light. Say, my life should be able to be examined in the light. How many want to grow? Allow people, bring people into your life, friends, family, to help examine your life. Forsake not the children. You wanted to see Jesus today? Is that what it is? Well, you can walk with me. This, this is called close. We're going to close the service, okay? And we're going to pray for all these people. I love that. He ran up here. Hallelujah. The other day he came and he said, I want to go to the big church. How old are you? Five. He said, I want to go in the big church because I want to see Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So we're going to pray, okay? I want you to come stand behind this pulpit. You got to get used to this because you might preach one day. You know what we're talking about today? Obeying Jesus. Sorry for my hands. They sweat. You okay with that? It's like anointing oil. How many were blessed today? Let's, let's let them see us. Let's step out. Listen. God wants to reward you. We must give him something to reward. I feel there's many in this place that are on the brink of great breakthrough. And you just have to ask the Lord, what is the obedience? What does my next step look like? Yes, Lord. I had this thought that there's many who are looking for a breakthrough. You've been praying, and like right now, you're walking in obedience, but you have forgotten the vow that God, you had made with God. And oftentimes, we forget. Like God doesn't forget. 
You understand when I say that? Like there has been times in my life where there has been immense hindrances. And sometimes you have to go back. This is the only time you're allowed to go back. You go back and do what God told you to do the first time. You understand? Sometimes we think that we can run so far. We can run so far that God will forget what he called us to do. Like, like reconciling a relationship. You can grab him now. Come on. I'm going to walk you over. Love you, buddy. Love you. Listen to this. We flow naturally in here. It feels like family here, doesn't it, when you come? So sometimes our, our blessing is locked up because of what we didn't obey last season. And then we think God is going to forget. Like, remember that dual dream I told you about? The Lord reminded me of it because I hadn't straightened it out yet. It was something so simple. You would laugh if I told you. But it was a big deal to God because he had to tell me twice. You understand? Even if it's just not complaining about a certain something. You understand? Go back and reconcile that and make it right. Like if it's a person that you still have bitterness towards and you're over here wanting God to bless you financially, but he, he doesn't want to talk about the finances yet. He wants you to go forgive Susie. He wants you to go make that thing right with the pastor or he wants you to make the thing right with your husband or your spouse. Before God talks about anything else, he wants you to go fix that which is broken. Are you listening, church? I'm, I'm trying to tell you a key that unlocks the favor of God. I've been recently, I'm not saying this to the globe, but I've been re recently, I gotta be careful what I say because then like recently, like the favor that will just is there, it's just there. It wasn't always like that. But every time the Lord tells you to do something, whatever you do, do it quickly. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.